What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another great episode of Fraternity. I'm Danny, and I'm here with my brother, Sean. And we hope you're enjoying our October celebration of all things horror. So we've talked about Day of the Dead. We've talked about Motel Hell. And now we're going to be talking about another great horror flick tonight. And next week, we're going to top it all off with our Halloween special. So stay tuned for that. You don't want to miss it. Sean, do you want to introduce the movie we're going to be talking about tonight? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The movie we're going to be covering tonight is 1980s Maniac. And I think this movie deserves a little backstory, Danny. Yeah, let's talk about it. So last year, you came home for the holidays. And for about a year and a half, I had been really into Vinegar Syndrome once I learned about their halfway to Black Friday and Black Friday sales. And my Black Friday purchases actually arrived while you were still visiting. Yeah, and this is a gigantic box of (laughs) films. Yeah, I think I had ordered like 37 movies, and one of the movies I really wanted to see that was in the package was a film called The Undertaker, because it featured Joe Spinell in his last leading horror movie role. And I put it on while I was unboxing all my films and organizing my shelf, and you came in there and sat down, and kind of we kind of watched the movie. We didn't pay absolute attention to it, but we were checking it out, and... You know, we're going to discuss The Undertaker one day, I'm sure. But what I will say today is that it's a terrible introduction to Joe Spinell's horror acting career. Yeah, you said he was kind of on his way out in that role. (laughs) Yeah, I remember after the movie just telling you over and over, like, you got to see Maniac. You got to see Maniac, right? Yeah, uh, I never heard of him. I think you should uh, talk about, like, he's kind of had these side roles in big movies, too. Like, he's in Rocky. And he's in The Godfather. So he's kind of a well-known side actor, but he's here in the horror genre. He's kind of the main actor. Yeah. So I implored you to see Maniac. And here we are. The day has come and you have now seen Maniac. (laughs) Yeah, I kept putting it off. Like, yeah, last year, as I said, I was doing a horror movie watch through uh, last October. And yeah, you were just like, you got to watch Maniac. Got to watch Maniac. I was like, okay, like. I'll try to squeeze it in, but for some reason I just didn't get to it, and it wasn't that I wasn't interested, I just, it just fell through the cracks, but here we are, finally, I've seen Maniac, and I'm ready to talk about it. Now that we've got the backstory of how we've come to us watching Maniac for this Fraternity episode, let me tell you my backstory and my relationship with Maniac. So, as you know, our parents are pretty relaxed and open-minded when it comes to horror films, and it allowed me to watch a lot of these classic horror movies at a young age. But there were lines that even I didn't want to cross. You know, when I would bring a rental to mom and dad, they would still go check out the actual box to kind of see what I was renting, because there were limitations, and it would ultimately be down to their approval. And like I said, there were just some conversations I didn't want to have at the age I was at. Like things like Slumber Party Massacre or any horror movie that appeared to just be hypersexualized and sleazy. So in comes Maniac. And if you look at the VHS cover of Maniac, it has this belly down drawing of some guy with a real slovenly appearance holding a bloody knife in one hand and what appears to be a severed head of a female dripping blood in the other. And you can even see the outline of this dude's dick in his jeans. Yeah, his his jeans are like slightly uh, unzipped. Yeah, and it's got the great tagline on the box, I warned you not to go out tonight. So like I said, I was still very young. 
And as much as I wanted to see it, I just didn't want the drama with mom and dad if they disapproved. Because this did look pretty damn boundary pushing. You know what I mean? Right. And the, the conversation you have trying to justify it is like almost worse than like the horrors you would have seen on the movie itself. <laughs> you can say that again. So enter my friend Terry. Terry was this girl I met in high school. She was a metalhead. She was very into horror. And so Terry and I quickly bonded over our love of horror. Her father, who unfortunately is no longer with us, he was a huge horror fan. And so naturally she followed in his footsteps. And Terry's father was actually a big inspiration to me in regards to collecting horror films because he had quite the VHS horror collection. And I remember going to her house one time and getting to look at it and I was just inspired. I was like, I vowed right then and there that I would one day have a horror collection just as impressive as this. And I'm happy to say that eventually I was able to do just that. So one weekend, Terry came over and we had a little movie day. And one of the movies she brought over that day was none other than Maniac. I was so thrilled to finally get to see this film with one of my good high school friends, no less, because we really didn't get the opportunity to hang out that much. So we sat there and we watched this William Lustig masterpiece together. I immediately loved this movie. It was everything I hoped it would be and definitely lived up to that VHS box art. And again, here we are, 20 years later, watching this movie and doing this podcast. So this episode of Fraternity is deservedly dedicated to my good friend Terry and also the memory of her awesome horror-loving dad. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry's dad. You guys rock. Alrighty, man. So we've waited a long time to get to this. So you ready to start the movie? Yeah, I'm ready. And before we start, I just wanted to say you can reach us on Twitter. Our at is Fraternity, at Fraternity. And if you have any emails, you can send us an email at Fraternity at gmail.com. Send us questions, comments, anything. And if you like what you hear, give us a rating if you like what you're listening to. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, we'd really like those five-star ratings. One-star ratings need not apply. (laughs) So we open on a beach, and we're in the presence of an unseen mouth breather. And immediately we know this person is a psychopath, because they actually use one of those 25-cent viewfinders that you see at a park or a beach. You gotta be crazy to use a viewfinder. Have you ever seen anyone use one of these things? I don't think so. I don't even know if I've used one, even as a kid. I hope not. If I see someone using it, I'm like, crazy person. So he peeps out a young couple, they're asleep on the beach, and we join this couple, and the chick implores her boyfriend to go get some wood. As her boyfriend goes off to get some wood, we get a POV shot from the killer, and he's already now stalking in the bushes nearby. He kneels down by her, and he begins to caress her back, and she mistakes this action as coming from her boyfriend. And quickly the psycho grabs her by the hair and pulls her head up violently and slashes her throat. And that's our first kill. But we're not done just yet because this is Maniac. Yeah, so the boyfriend comes back with the firewood. And before even as a moment to really react at what he or even kind of process if his girlfriend is alive or dead, the aforementioned killer comes up behind him and starts choking him with this, I guess, thin wire, fishing wire maybe. And the fishing wire is like cutting through his throat. So he's not only getting choked, he's bleeding from his throat. And it's almost like it's cutting through his throat and he's almost getting decapitated. And he's, you just see his legs writhing in pain and the killer lifts him up. You know, the killer is so strong, he's lifting him up while he's choking him. 
And yeah, we get some uncomfortable shots of this guy just getting choked to death by this killer on the beach. Yeah, we see the maniac. He's wearing a ski mask. And like you said, he's so strong. He lifts this guy up as the razor. I call it razor wire sometimes. But yeah, it's just some wire, I guess, that digs into his neck. And yeah, I really like the shot of his kicking feet as the blood spills down. But then suddenly, our maniac, who we learn is Frank Zito, he wakes up in bed in a cold sweat screaming. I love the lighting when the maniac wakes up because all you can see is his eyes. Yeah, he has those serial killer eyes. Frank has those almost devoid of emotion stare. Yeah, we get a great title card where he's like sitting up in bed just kind of hunched over and maniac goes across the screen. Can we just discuss the set of Frank's room here? Like, I really love this set. I want to talk about Frank's room a lot. I want to get deep into it for sure. Cool. Let's do that. He's got purple walls. There's dolls everywhere. Yeah, he's got purple walls, which I was like, okay, what's the significance of the purple walls here? And, you know, to make purple, you take red and blue and you combine it and that makes purple. And red is typically seen as like an evil color if we want to get symbolic in film, usually. And blue, on the contrary, is usually like, you know, it's a cool color and it represents like safety or maybe something of that nature. You know, red and blue are opposites. And as the movie goes on, we're going to see Frank talking to himself and kind of having a battle with his own psychosis. Right. And I think the purple kind of represents that battle that's constantly going on, you know, throughout the movie. You know, he has these two sides where one is kind of the killer side that wants to go out and do these killings. And the other side is kind of worried that, you know, the cops are going to come on to him and take away his other half, you know, if he gets institutionalized. Very interesting take on the purple walls. So, yeah, he's got dolls. There's like dolls everywhere. There's this shrine to his mother and there's lit candles all over the place. And then just strange sculptures and wall art that are really strange like the thing i like about this set too is it doesn't look like a set like in some horror movies the set dressing is so over the top that you're you know it's a movie where this i love the creepiness in the simplicity yeah it almost like doesn't make too much sense like you know you go into someone's room and they're just so much stuff scattered and you're trying to piece together who they are as a person you know because there is a lot lots of weird stuff like the mannequins and the sculptures and then yeah the altar to his mom covered with the candles but then there's like a map of the world on the wall and it's like why is that there and then there's cages there's just so much weird stuff and yeah it totally feels lived in and you know like just a realistic room of someone that's maybe a little crazy Yeah, and like you mentioned, we do notice that he sleeps in bed with a mannequin, but we don't get a very good look at it yet, and the importance of the mannequins is still not revealed. We're going to learn a lot more about the mannequins later, but not quite yet. We also see Frank go to a mirror and take his shirt off, and we see his chest is like littered with scars. We will learn what those scars are from later on, but for now, we are left to wonder what happened to Frank. Anything else you wanted to say about the room? Another detail I liked is he has like a cork board full of keys on his wall. And I just like to think that's probably like, you know, the, his victims like house keys or apartment keys and like he just kept them or something. That's my head cannon. Yeah, I was almost wondering if maybe he's like the super at an apartment place, you know, because it doesn't really say what his job is. So that was my interpretation. That definitely could be 
the case. I could definitely see that as well. But yeah, we, we don't really know what Frank does for money, if anything. We're not given too much of an insight on his life, just the, just the killings that he partakes in. Yeah, I think my favorite decoration in the room is there's this weird... It looks like a canvas, but it's 3D with like an upside down baby popping out of it. Yeah. This is like, what does it say? All I know is it says born without a, but I couldn't make out the rest of it. Yeah, I can't, I couldn't tell if I just didn't get a good look at it or if it was just like intentionally blocked out that last part, born without a blank by the baby on it. Yeah, that one's really cool. So Frank gets dressed. It's almost like a superhero scene where he's buckling up getting putting his shirt on and putting his shoes on and then he goes out into the night and in the night we find two hookers standing outside a hotel and i just want this audience to know that this podcast may be free but rest assured that you are getting the ultimate oh yeah so one of these street walking gals needs to turn one more trick to make her rent we've all been there right we've all been there for sure and guess who just so happens to walk by? Frank is out on the scene. Now, was he looking for these hookers or did he just happen to pass by? It's a great question. Yeah, we get a funny bit here with the director, Bill Lustig. He's playing the CD motel manager. And soon after that, Frank does go up to a room with one of the hookers. And one of them is about to do experience the ultimate. Frank is laying on the bed and the prostitute comes out. She's wearing purple shorts, so I'm going to call her purple shorts. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we ever get a name for her. Yeah, we don't get a name for the prostitute here. But Frank tells her to start modeling. Like in the magazines. She starts doing poses, and Frank tells her that he's into it. And she starts to do more poses, and she starts to take her clothes off. But Frank isn't into this. He tells her to leave her clothes on. Yeah, now, is there a bigger red flag for a hooker? Than a John telling her to keep her clothes on. Either he's into some freaky shit or something's about to go down. So what is about to go down? So they start making out and they stop and she thinks Frank is a little on edge. She tells him to relax and he's like, all right. And they start making out again. And not too much later, Frank starts to choke her on the bed. He gets on top of her aggressively and starts choking her. Frank is screaming like, you bitch. And we get like a point of view shot. We get a point of view from the prostitute of like Frank's face. And he looks enraged at her, just choking the life out of her. You know, Frank is angry at this prostitute. I can't think of a worse final image before you die than Frank's sweaty, chunky face. Sweating on you. He's got this grimace on his face. So we're cutting back and forth with this POV of Frank and then the prostitute. And while we're going back and forth, you know, when it cuts to the prostitute, it cuts to this other woman that we don't know, and it isn't the prostitute. Yeah, we see that Frank is actually seeing his mother in place of the prostitute. And, you know, deeply analyzing this film, I really thought about this sequence. And one important thing I thought is it establishes that Frank does suffer from hallucinations. And I think it's quite understated. Yeah, it's going to be very important in regards to some events that are going to happen quite a bit later in the film. Yeah, I think this is one of the most important scenes in the film. It sets the tone and it sets the themes up like perfectly, but you wouldn't know it on this first on like watching it for the first time. You know, there's some hints to like he's seeing his mother, but it's not entirely painted out clearly for you. But on on a rewatch, you know, I love this scene of him kind of putting his the picture of his mother on the prostitute. He's having these hallucinations while he's choking this prostitute to death. And I think it just says a lot with visuals. 
like I said, like the themes of the movie, you know, mother issues and how someone chooses to deal with those mother issues. Yeah. What were you calling uh, the hooker? Purple pants? Yeah, purple shorts. Purple shorts. Either way, purple shorts gets the life squeezed out of her. And we see Frank immediately retreat to the bathroom and he starts heaving and... He then works his way back into the room and he's groaning and crying and saying he didn't want to do that and that he didn't mean to. And I thought we could discuss Frank here a little bit too, because clearly he's the antagonist of the film, but he's also our main character. And we basically see the film through his perspective. Now, I don't want to say that he's likable, but he is enjoyable because I think the performance by Joe Spinell is just so good. And I'll also say that. He's a sympathetic character because clearly this is a very damaged individual. His actions throughout the film are inexcusable, no doubt. And I think he is conscious of his actions, but he is a maniac in every sense of the definition. And he clearly has a lot of mental issues that, again, I do feel makes him a sympathetic character. So I wanted to see what your thoughts were on it. No, I agree that Frank is definitely sympathetic, you know, to a degree. And yeah, the stuff he does is, you know, absolutely horrible and the murders he's going to commit. There's no excuse for him. It's all innocent people. But he's clearly an individual that is suffering from many mental issues and having an internal battle with himself. As we said earlier, we're going to get a lot of scenes where Frank is talking to himself and it's almost like, you know, part of him really doesn't want to do these killings. And I think that's the interesting part is that he's having this internal monologue with himself, like fighting himself and almost like he wants to get rid of that part of himself, but then he doesn't want to get rid of that part. It's a, I think he's a really interesting character to analyze and just watch. And yeah, the performance from Joe Spinell can't be stated enough. He does a really great job of just making Frank feel helpless, but also completely in power in any situation he's in. And now we get to the first scalping. So Frank scalps his victims, and we first see it here. We see him use a straight razor to cut along Purple Short's forehead, and we see blood pouring down her head and face, and then Frank tugs and rips the scalp from her skull. Very grotesque. You can even hear it. <laughs> and I'll say, scalping is actually surprisingly rare in horror. And I think it's almost like a hallmark of this movie. So did you see the scalping coming? And what did you think when you saw it? Well, I thought it was going to be like beheading based on the cover because it looks like a full head there. But I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, scalping was his calling card. The gore is great. You got Tom Savini on the special effects. So it looks awesome. So Frank returns home and he's got a new mannequin with him. And this is where more about the mannequins is revealed to us. And this is where we also do get that good glimpse into Frank's psychosis. We see that the mannequin in his bed is dressed in the clothes of the girl he killed on the beach. And we can see that blood had poured down the mannequin's face. And it becomes clear that he used the scalping of her and nailed the scalp to the mannequin. And so he takes her out of his bed and he puts her in the corner and he starts working on his new mannequin. And as he assembles the hooker mannequin, Frank does start to converse with himself. And to me, I interpret it as sometimes he's speaking as his mother and sometimes he's speaking as himself, but it's not really always clear, like, which is speaking at which time. Yeah, that was my interpretation, too, that it's like 
he's taken on the personality of his dead mother, and then his other side is kind of Frank's personality as a child. Like, he has these two battling personalities inside of him. At a certain point, it kind of becomes incomprehensible, like, who's saying what? And it's like, you could, re- you could really say, like, either of them are saying, you know, that sentence. And I think that's intentional. Like, I feel like we're not getting 100% picture of what's really going on in Frank's head. And I think that just makes it more interesting and more fun to analyze when you kind of have to make these guesses. Like, you know, what's he really trying to say here? Or is it just all gibberish coming out of a madman, you know? Yeah. We also see Frank look at a newspaper. And it's our first look at the fact that he is headline news. And... In the monologue, like you said, one of the main themes is like this fear of separation and the worry of getting caught. And it's also a good reminder, and we will get a few of these reminders, but this movie takes place in that era where one homicidal maniac going on an indiscriminate killing spree could single-handedly terrorize a city, even one the size of New York. We're going to see in the background the city gets more and more paranoid as frank gets away with more of his killings yeah but it's almost like he doesn't even really care i mean he part of him does care and wants him to stop but the other part it's like you know he just says he has to go out and do it like he can't stop yeah this is right afterwards that's where he talks about he has to go out but every time he goes out something happens And then we get this close-up shot of a violin case, and he's disassembling a shotgun and putting it inside. And we see, like, all of his weapons are strewn about this table, and he's just packing up because clearly he's going out for another kill, which points to the fact that he is conscious of his actions. And I really liked here, like, as he's packing his murder weapons, there's this box of Cracker Jacks, and he keeps taking a few handfuls. Even they have a... A naked doll in a cage right there, and he holds a Cracker Jack up to it like, Polly want a cracker? And it's just these (laughs) weird things that, again, there's like a creepiness in the simplicity because putting a naked doll in a little cage just seems so easy, but they manage to deliver it in the way they want to so effectively here. Yeah, and I think that's another aspect of just the set design being so good and so well thought out but at the same time being just completely believable and yeah i love the cracker jack bit i just think it's interesting that he's eating like a kid's snack you know it's a, a very childlike kind of pinpointing that childlike uh, behavior that we're gonna keep seeing from frank here yeah so despite his own concerns our maniac is quickly back out into the night and we go to we're outside of a nightclub And we see Frank is in his car, and he's on the prowl for another victim. And who does he scope out? None other than the legend Tom Zavini himself. Right, yeah, Tom Zavini is waiting for his car with this girl that he met at the club, I guess. And he's trying to take her home, but she has a boyfriend, but he's he's pulling all the sex pervert moves on her. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing some uh, big swinging dick moves for sure. And (laughs) she goes in the car with him, and... They don't know that they're being trailed by a maniac, and he drives her out to his little love spot. It's this little parking area overlooking the Verrazano Bridge, and he's starting to put his moves on the girl, and there's this great shot of Frank's car creeping up, and he turns his headlights off so they're unaware that he's coming into the parking area too, and right when he turns the headlights off, the score has a good musical sting, and uh, that's a... A segue we can use to talk about the uh, the score here, because 
I love its creepy ambience. Yeah, I like the score too. It's uh, yeah, it, it managed to hit at all those perfect notes, and it's not the most like like overblown soundtrack. Like you said, it's very like just setting the mood and just has this ambiance to it that really works well. Yeah, I really liked it. It was very eighties, almost European, and again, it was very ambient because. I struggled to think of too many themes it had where it was more just ambient sounds. Yeah, it just works perfectly for all the stingers and, you know, just setting the mood and getting that perfect scare. For sure. So eventually Tom Savini and the hot blonde go to his back seat and that epic mustache is starting to get a little wet. <laughs> and everything's going good until the young woman catches a glimpse of Frank just face pressed against their window like staring at him yeah i like to like he's not looking through the main part of a window like there's always that little triangle part in the back like the smaller part of the window and he's looking through that he looks like a kid looking through a window like he almost doesn't seem like he comprehends what he's looking at you know yeah that's a good i really like uh, your observations of his childlike demeanor at points here i think there's a lot in this movie that's kind of hidden behind like the main stuff that's going on that's really fun to just pick apart and i might be overanalyzing it but i think maniac is a really fun movie just to pick apart and talk about hell yeah i'm with that (laughs) so once the young blonde catches a glimpse of frank she's freaking out and she tells tom she wants to go home And Tom is frustrated, but he obliges, and they move up into the front seat, and Tom turns his headlights on, and we see Frank standing in the mist outside, and they both see him, but before they can really react, Frank runs and jumps up onto the hood of the car, aims his shotgun right at Tom Savini's head, and pulls the trigger, and delivers just a flesh wound. We get one of the goriest head explosions possibly put on film. He's, he's alive. I'm telling you, he survived that. <laughs> well, his hairdo sure survived <laughs> the back of his head. <laughs> oh, yeah. His head exploded like a watermelon, and his fling is now covered in gore. I love that they just hold on, like, his torso just sitting there with no head, just uncomfortably long. They really make you sit with the gore in this film, which I really enjoy. Because, again, you are seeing this whole story through frank's perspective oh yeah and that head is like split and you can see like remnants of the head although there is no head there's just like maybe the back of the head is left laying on the headrest but yeah not much is left definitely we've all seen scanners head explosion right and there's a few more even some tom savini delivered himself in other movies but this is up there with the best of them for sure yeah, I think uh, head explosions can maybe lean on the like kind of funny side of gore, but this one is just like very brutal and very uncomfortable, <laughs> but all the same great. Right, you can appreciate it, but we should say, again, just like Last House on the Left, like none of the kills in this movie are enjoyable or fun. Right, yeah. You definitely feel bad for these people. Yeah, especially this poor young woman, because she goes and hides in the back seat, and she's covered in blood, and she can't do anything but scream. And Frank just prolongs her suffering because he just aims the shotgun at her. It seems like an eternity. And then eventually we do see him pull a trigger, and we're left to assume that's the end of her. 
Yeah, it's a good like 10, 15 seconds while she's just staring down the barrel of the shotgun before he pulls the trigger. It's pretty cruel. Yeah, I thought it was brutal too. Back in Frank's apartment, we find him sitting in bed and he's watching a news report. And it's basically reporting on this crime he's just committed. And while he does use different methods to kill his victims, he always scalps the women. So the police have a good idea that this is the work of one person. And then Frank's going to deliver another rambling speech about his troubles here, speaking as himself and his mother. He is aware that he is a victim to his own psychosis, but he can't really do anything about it. Right, yeah, he says, like, you know, what am I to do with these pretty girls? Like, I can't... He bas- he's basically saying, like, with all these pretty women out there, he can't control his impulses. You know, he has to act on it. When he sees a pretty woman, you know, he, he just gets the urge to kill her. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately for them, right? <laughs> and I guess himself, because he's clearly tormented. I don't know if you noticed when he's watching the, the TV, there's like a single ro- a single tear that rolls down his face when he's watching it. Yeah, I did catch that. Another great, just like, little bit of like, you know, what does that mean? What is he thinking there? Like, this movie just like gives you so many little details that you can just pick apart that I really, I really, really enjoy that about Maniac. Yeah. We see also that he has the, the female shotgun victim mannequin now in bed with him. And it's becoming more clear that the women are viewed as his mother in his mind. And he has that fear of separation, like we've already said. And he even handcuffs himself to this mannequin. And he starts crying and professing his happiness. Yeah, he handcuffs himself to this mannequin he's laying down to in bed. And, you know, he says that he'll never let them take you away from me. and. He starts sobbing and, he, you know, he says he's the happiest he's ever been, but he's, you know, crying in bed. I'm so happy. You know, it's just like all these weird contradictions and you don't know, like, if he's talking to himself or the mannequin or what he's like. It's great because you never get a clear picture of really what's going on in Frank's mind. Yeah. And up to this point, we basically spent 30 minutes of the film with Frank on his killing spree. And we're about to get a brief scene here in a park. That's going to set up an actual plot. We see a photographer take Frank's picture and he notices. She walks around and he looks at her bag in order to get her address. But this is only a setup and we don't really know where it's going to go yet. And then we get a brief scene of Frank gazing at mannequins in department stores. Yeah, that next scene at the park, you know, it starts with this point of view of this kid on the swing and... The mother of the kid on the swing, the kid's name is Denise. Denise's mother is like, you know, don't swing too high. So Denise's mother is clearly a little overprotective. And then, you know, the other kid says to Denise, like, let's go ride our bikes. And Denise is like, oh, my mom won't let me. But, uh, you know, they go ride anyway. And then, of course, Denise rides her bike straight into Frank, who catches her and tells her to be careful. I just love that little sequence. You know, you get another example of a mother and maybe some insight into what maybe frank's life was kind of like with his mom after that is the photographer taking a picture of frank and frank walks up and sees her purse on the ground and looks at the tag and learns her address which will come into play a little later i did like how quickly denise was cool with leaving the park after she said her mom said she can't the kid's like come on she's like okay Peer pressure works, bro. For sure. Next, we join two nurses leaving the hospital after their shift. 
and Franca still headlined news. And despite both of their fears, one of the nurses refuses a ride that's offered to her from this coworker. And why she refuses this ride, I don't know. But it leads to one of the most prolonged chase sequences ever in a horror film. <laughs> Starts off as one of the slowest uh, chase scenes, but I like it for that, you know. It's the nurse is walking down the street and she gets this feeling that she's being trailed or watched and she keeps looking behind her shoulder and, you know, Frank is there in the distance and she just has this feeling, you know, that she's being chased and she starts to speed up her step a little bit. Yeah, I didn't think it was inherently apparent that he was actually following her, though. And I thought, like, perhaps she's just panicking. But yeah, if she were this concerned, she should have taken the ride offered to her. Kind of weird. They were talking about there's a murderer out, but then she denies the ride. I don't know what her thought process was there. Yeah, she starts running through the subway and she misses a train. She goes and hides in this bathroom. And yeah, this scene is just super drawn out, almost annoyingly so in my opinion. But it's also quite effective in delivering some false security. Because we go so long that you're like, is he going to get her? Or maybe he isn't going to get this one? But the movie's called Maniac. And so you can put two and two together yourself there, whether he's going to get her or not. Well, I like that, you know, she goes into the bathroom and then Frank comes up the stairs where the bathroom is. And for a minute, you know, he thinks she got away and he's almost about to leave. But then he looks over and he notices the bathroom tucked away in the corner and then he makes his way over there. And then, yeah, we do get this kind of really drawn out scene where he's checking every stall and the nurse is in the last stall in the bathroom trying her damnedest to not make a peep. But it's, you know, she's clearly like losing her shit right now. But then Frank leaves and, you know, it is a good like minute or two that we just kind of sit with the nurse. She's in shock as much as we are that, that Frank, did he just really just leave? <laughs> yeah, I really liked her acting. I thought she sold it like in her panic state. Like you could feel it. You could feel the tension. Yeah, like you said, it's un- uncomfortably long and almost annoying. But I, I, like I said, I like it for that. I like that it's drawn out and puts you in that false sense of security, like you said. I did notice on one of my watch throughs, though, that as Frank's checking all the stalls, He gives this look like, and it's pretty obvious he knows she's in there so that he is going to get her because he's checked every stall but the last one. And he kind of looks as if to say like, she's got to be in that one, but I'm going to trick her. (laughs) Right. This is another example of Frank kind of toying with his victims. Yeah, she thinks she's safe and she goes to wash her face in the sink and she lifts up and looks in the mirror and frank is right behind her and just impales her through the back with a bayonet i forget what he was saying to her here is this what you like or something like that yeah something like that like do you like it or you like it like that huh something like that something weird so this chase is almost 10 minutes long is it really i never i never timed it yeah i i checked it because i was really thinking about it in relationship to this doing this podcast and note-taking because there is a lot to talk about in this movie and i was like man this scene can be breezed through and it's like 10 minutes of the film you know but like i said like it's a bit annoying but it's also effective i don't know i like it i don't have any complaints but i could definitely see why you would be a little 
annoyed. I think maybe the first time I was, but the second time I really appreciated it and that it was just like, no, you're going to sit here and you're going to like be in the shoes of this nurse running away. Because I used to walk home from work before I had a car and I was always kind of paranoid, like doing the same things that she was like checking behind my back. And, you know, sometimes you just give into that fear, which isn't a good thing, but I can definitely relate to this scene. It's just some sort of primal fear, I guess. Yeah, and again, she should have taken that ride. Clearly everyone in the city knows there's a psycho killer on the loose, so you would think even the guy would be like, no, come on, take the ride with us. But no, she is now a mannequin. And we go back to Frank's room, and he's looking way too stylish here. He's wearing sunglasses indoors, and he almost looks like a movie producer. It was really weird. And he's rattling on about carelessness because he's assembling the nurse mannequin and she had blonde hair and white clothes so everything on her is stained in blood and now we're gonna get to a point in the film where they do actually develop a bit of a plot we meet the photographer from the park it's a woman named anna played by the lovely caroline monroe she's in her dark room and she's developing the picture that she took of frank in the park and just as she does he arrives (laughs) at her studio boldly claiming to be the the person in the picture and Anna almost is just like oh really wow like come on in which was odd to me did she not think like how did this guy know where I lived (laughs) what a coincidence it's weird once he introduces himself they have this discussion about photography and models and beauty and the preservation of and also this idea of keeping things forever and then Frank invites Anna out to dinner and she accepts. And I always found this bit of the movie a bit jarring because we spent 45 minutes with this maniac and at no point has he really demonstrated this ability to actually exist with some normalcy in the world. You know what I mean? Comes out of left field. It definitely caught me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it, but to put it boldly, I think this just like demonstrates Joe Spinell's acting chops for sure that he can go from this crazy killer maniac and then when he's talking with Anna he's kind of got this posh attitude like he says he's an artist and he's asking Anna why she takes photographs of these women and she's like oh well I want to make them beautiful but Frank says like no you're you're trying to preserve them and that the photo itself is the thing that immortalizes them and that's what you're doing and they just have a really interesting conversation that you know can relate it to all the previous stuff about Frank trying to immortalize his mother in some way or can't let go of his mother Uh, it's interesting stuff yeah i do really like the conversation again it's just this section of the movie just seems like such a weird shift because again we know he's a legitimate schizophrenic with paranoid delusions basically and yet here he is making moves on anna and carrying on these conversations but I guess we haven't really spent that much time in the life of Frank, and I guess it's more than possible that he is capable of doing this, and it's something else he just might do, attempting to actually have a normal relationship with a woman. Yeah, I mean, if he has a house or an apartment and seemingly has money, he's got to have some sort of, like, ability to turn off and on, maybe. But that's not what this movie is about. This movie is about a maniac going on killing sprees and you know, at the end of his rope with his mental health. Yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. And I'm not saying I don't like it. I just thought it was worth discussing. So next up, 
after the dinner date, we're going to a showdown. Did you? Oh man, what a killer bass line in this song. Yeah, we get a funky song playing while Anna's at work. She's, uh, you know, trying to take pictures of these models. She has three models up there. And yeah, we get this song playing and Frank shows up and he's got a present. Yeah. Did you uh, catch the lyrics to the song? I did not. What are the lyrics? Just that really high voice that's like, put on something nice. It says, uh, put on something nice. Just in case you die, you'll leave a fancy corpse behind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. I thought that was funny. I, I loved the song so much, I went and listened to it on YouTube a few times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Check that song. What's it called? Let's tell the viewers. Check that song out. I think it's Going to a Showdown. Okay, yeah. Check out Going to a Showdown for a maniac. Yeah, I like Frank shows up with the present, like you said, and she's taking the picture of the models, and there's this really snotty fashion designer type dude and he stops him and he's like it's all wrong this is all wrong and anna notices frank and she goes to chat with him and he gives her a stuffed bear and the dude quickly makes the point that hey we're paying these models a hundred dollars an hour so let's get back to work and before they get back to work anna introduces frank to a model named rita and rita out of all the women i thought the the nurse also did, but Rita especially has a striking resemblance to Frank's mom. Did you notice that? Uh, not really. I guess I kind of took it that Anna kind of looked more like Frank's mom to me, and that's why he was kind of treating her so well, like that she's the spitting image. I don't know. I thought there was a bit of his mom in all the women except for the one on the beach and the hooker, but yeah. It is what it is, and yeah, I think you can interpret it any either way. Like I, I think your interpretation is valid of Rita because he does take a liking to Rita, as we'll see in a bit. Well, the first time he went to Anna's studio, he was looking at the picture of Rita on the wall too, because she says this is the girl you saw in the picture. And once they go back to modeling, it's pretty obvious that Frank is getting overwhelmed by his urges for. He's doing his little. But hey, Frank says, he does tell Anna that she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen since his his mom, so. That's true, that's true, he does. So, Anna had also told Rita to take off a necklace because it was causing too much glare, and Rita had complained because it was her mom's necklace, and but she took it off, and while everyone's distracted, Frank steals the necklace. So naturally, we end up following Rita back home to her apartment, and she quickly prepares a bath. And I thought it was kind of funny here, because this is a pretty notorious film. It's banned in countries. It was considered a video nasty, very frowned upon for appearing to be misogynistic. And for all intents and purposes, this movie did promote itself as a sleazy affair. But this is the only scene of nudity in the film, and it's quite brief. Yeah, we don't really see much. It's for basically a second that you see bare breast at all. Yeah, so Rita is drawing a bath, and then Frank buzzes her doorbell, and he uses his acquaintanceship with Anna to get Rita to lower her guard. She opens the door, and he dangles her necklace in front of her, 
He's like passing himself off as a do-gooder friend. And while she's distracted, he does something to the lock on her door. Yeah, he makes it so when she closes her door, it won't lock and he can come right in. So Frank sees himself off and Rita goes back to her bath. Then after her bath, she goes and gets a glass of water. And Frank pops out of a closet as she's walking down the hall and just takes her down. And this is actually the only other time we see him wearing the ski mask. I just wanted to point it out because the opening kill doesn't completely fit with the rest of the tone of this movie, especially with the ski mask. But this does establish that that did happen and he does wear the ski mask from time to time. So that's why I wanted to bring up the ski mask. And I didn't even think about it, really. I I hardly noticed the ski mask at the beginning or this scene here. I just feel like the opening scene on the beach sets this up like it's going to be a typical slasher. It's almost like a head fake. And so you wonder what was real in that once you get into the actual story. But I think this just shows like, yeah, he has no MO, you know, he does all kinds of different things. So, and part of that is sometimes he dons the ski mask for whatever reason. Yeah. And who knows, maybe we're trying to analyze Frank too hard. Maybe he's impossible to crack <laughs> right maybe, maybe that's the point there is no like you said there is no mo i just liked when she's taking the bath it kind of focuses on her rita and you know you're kind of expecting frank to come in at any point and like just murder her in the in the bath because that's kind of a classic tell right like in horror getting murdered in the bathroom you know where your guard is probably the most let down but it doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen. He doesn't tackle her until after she's done her bath. So that was an interesting detail that I noticed. Yeah, you can take that all the way back to the shower scene in Psycho. And here we're dealing with Maniac and it just flips the script. Yeah, I definitely thought of Psycho and how it was kind of born there. And yeah, here we kind of get it subverted. Yeah, we find Rita. She's tied up in her bed. And if you haven't put together... Why Frank is a maniac. This is where the film really spells it out for you. We learn that Frank was abused by his mother as a child, physically and mentally. His mother was a prostitute who would run off with men and abandon him, or sometimes she would bring the Johns home and abuse Frank if he caused any issues for her. And we learn that Frank sees his mother in all of these women, and in his twisted mind, he's protecting her from herself. So she can't abandon him anymore and that he can possess her forever by killing these girls and making them the mannequins. Yeah, he has to keep reliving this process of projecting his mother onto these women and killing them and then going through the process of putting their likeness on a mannequin and then putting them in his home. And it brings him comfort, but it's also a never ending cycle because he has to keep doing it because every woman he sees just reminds him of his own mom. And we're not told how Frank's mom died. You know, do you think he killed her or do you think it was natural? Because when he went out to dinner with Anna, he mentioned that he lost his mother in a car accident. And I'm just going to say that the lie detector determined that that's a lie. Yeah. I think it's, we can kind of uh, interpret that you know i just think with all the killing that he does and projecting his mother onto these women that it's safe to assume that he's kind of reliving the moment where he killed his mom yeah i can't say for sure but i think it's very plausible but again this is maniac and 
I think anyone's interpretation is valid. So if you like Maniac, you can email us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Definitely. We, we need to know. <laughs> we think we know. But if you know more than us, let us know. So Reed is pleading for her life here. And then Frank mounts her and he's running a switchblade down the middle of her chest. And then he just drives it in her. And she starts to bleed out as he kind of like lays on her, crying out to mommy. And then he's going to scalp her, of course. And we get this excellent point of view shot from Rita's perspective as she's being scalped. Only this time, blood runs over to camera and it stains the image of Frank Red. I really liked that. Yeah, that's a really great shot. We're approaching our climax now. But first, we get this really strange scene where, like you've been mentioning, Frank really regresses into his, into his childlike state. Frank's back at his home. And he's lighting the candles at the altar to his mom. And we didn't mention this before, but next to the altar is this child mannequin. And I think Frank projects himself onto that mannequin. Like he's always talking to it as if he was talking to himself as a kid. And he's kind of portraying his mother when he talks to it. He's saying to this child mannequin, like, you know, if you don't do what mommy says, you know what happens. And then Frank takes a cigarette and puts it out on the chest of the mannequin, you know, confirming that the scarring on Frank's chest was from his mother putting his cigarettes out on his chest, which, you know, Frank is a killer, but that's just a rough childhood to go through, right? Most definitely. And yeah, I really like the scene where he plays that out with the the doll. Like, if you don't do what mommy tells you, you know what happens. And then he goes and he puts on this I can't tell if this hat is goofy or awesome. <laughs> the hat with he, the he, wings. He, he put he puts on Mario's hat from sixty four, the the winged hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he grabs like that little laser noisemaker gun. He's like sitting in a chair. He's like ring ring ring. <laughs> yeah, everyone had that one gun that just made really annoying noises. Like he takes that. He's just playing with it in the chair, and then he's like sobbing and <laughs> yeah then he takes out a bb gun and he's loading it and shooting holes in this picture of a woman's face on the wall and still like crying it's a very weird little scene of psychotic respite before we get to the end <laughs> it's kind of like frank's version of a mental breakdown here <laughs> definitely and the next day we see frank making a phone call and he calls Anna and he asks her out on another date. She accepts. And during the car ride, we actually learned that Frank not only sent flowers, but attended Rita's funeral, which I thought was pretty crazy. Yeah, she thanks him for saying the flowers and coming to the funeral. And yeah, it's just Frank did all this stuff for the person that he killed, which is crazy. But I guess he's, you know, trying to keep up appearances with Anna. Right. And then he asks Anna if it would be okay to stop by the cemetery so that he can lay a wreath at his mom's grave. And she's fine with that. And we cut to the grave and Frank and Anna kneel down and Frank starts to pray. And as he's praying, he's starting to lose control and you can see that mask of sanity slipping. And Anna attempts to comfort him, but she picks up on a red flag when he starts screaming that Rita knew. Yeah, he starts screaming, Rita knew, Rita knew. <laughs> and hey, he's the prayer he's saying is the Hail Mary. 
you know, mother of Jesus. So another little interesting bit. Yeah. He attempts to choke Anna, but she manages to fight him off. She runs for her life and we get a brief chase through the cemetery, but Anna actually manages to get the upper hand. And while Frank is looking around for her, she sneaks up behind him and she strikes him in the arm with a shovel and it manages to gash into his arm pretty viciously. Just wanted to point out, this is going to be episode eight of Fraternity. And I think four of our eight films have featured a shovel as a weapon. Uh, this is just crazy. Like shovels just keep popping up. What When we said the first time, it was like, you know, shovels are pretty underrated. And then like the next three films, shovels are just appearing in these films. And I have no memory of like that being in Day of the Dead that shows up here. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, it started with Reanimator. We got it in Day of the Dead. We've got it here. And in Motel Hell, Bob got knocked out with the shovel. So, <laughs> just a strange, strange coincidence. Well, if you really want to stretch it, Ed Harley digs up Pumpkinhead with a shovel. But I don't know if that counts. Yeah, this these shovels need acting credits at this point because... They're in every damn movie. One of the most underrated uh, horror weapons, you gotta say. Yeah, and you gotta say it is pretty practical, so I can see why it'd be so common. <laughs> Maybe not practical, but effective is a better way to put it. Either way, Anna gets this great swing on Frank, and like you said, it just gashes his arm, and there's just blood pouring down, and it really looked like it hurt, because Frank's kind of down for a minute. Yeah, it almost looked like his arm was hanging by a thread, you know, but I don't think it was that bad, but it's pretty deep and nasty. He's clutching his arm, and he's crying out to his mom, and he starts hearing voices of his mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she starts chastising him, like, Frank, and you also hear the voice of him as a child, like, no, mommy. Don't put me in the closet, please. Please don't. Yeah, we're hearing the uh, events of, you know, one of the unfortunate abuses against Frank as a child from his mother. Yeah, and Frank's even starting to growl a little bit here, and he ends up returning to his mother's grave, and he kneels down before it, and out of nowhere, two zombie arms burst out and grab Frank. And we see the face of his zombified mother, like, pulling him in close. And Frank is just screaming out in terror. Really good jump scare. Yeah, this scare got me. And you get a great POV shot of the zombie zombified corpse of Frank's mom. And it's just, like, it's got, like, a maggot in it or something. Like, it looks nasty. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's rotten to the core. But this isn't real. This is uh, another delusion in Frank's head. Yeah. Again, we, as I mentioned, we've established that Frank has hallucinations, and this was another one. And so Frank returns home, and he crawls into bed. He's clutching his arm. He's crying to his mom, saying it hurts. Oh, and before he got in the bed, too, like, you see his mom laying in the bed, like, reaching out her arms to him. Yeah, you get a a brief shot of his mom in the flesh, like, holding out her arms. And then, you know, next shot, it turns back into a mannequin. Yeah, he's laying in bed, and he turns and looks at the menagerie of mannequins. And he's almost got this suspicious gaze. And then he turns away and rocks in pain a little more. But he decides to take another look. And we see that the mannequins have transformed into the victims themselves. 
and they turn and they spring to life and they start stalking towards Frank and arming themselves with his weapons. <laughs> yeah, we get all the previous actresses and they just have this look of disgust while looking at Frank and they're slowly approaching and yeah, they grab his weapons and then yeah, you know Frank is just about to get something bad happen to him. He's Frank is about to get his comeuppance. Oh yeah, they surround Frank. And then this just becomes an orgy of violence here. The nurse impales his stomach with the bayonet and we see blood splash up. Another one of the victims hacks his arm off with the machete. And then out of nowhere we see the decapitated body of the male victim on the beach just like rise up like he's been under the bed the whole time. And he like just looks on at what's going on and Frank is screaming in terror. Yeah, he's like horrified at the sight of the guy of Tom Savini's uh, torso. <laughs> yeah, then all of the women work together and literally tear Frank's head from his body <laughs> with their bare hands. You hear like the neck snapping and like, oh, it's just brutal. It's, it, it's great. This head pulling of Frank. The next morning, we see a squad car driving through the streets. And it's two plainclothes officers heading to Frank's apartment. They kick the door open, and inside they find everything in its normal place, including the mannequins. They also find Frank in bed, dead from a self-inflicted stab wound. Apparently he's driven the bayonet into his own stomach and bled out. So the officers know they've got their man, but they know it's too late, and they exit. And then we get a close-up shot of Frank. And his eyes suddenly open. And then Maniac splashes across the screen. And that's our movie. That's Maniac. Let's discuss this ending really quick. So what did you think? Is there any way you interpreted all of this at the end? I'll be honest. I wish the movie ended with the that final scene where the personified mannequins come to life and kill Frank. If the movie had ended there, I feel like there's like more to talk about in that scene, and it is kind of the climax of the film, and it ends on such a high note. But that's not the ending. This ending here, where Frank opens his eyes, is is the ending of the film. But I just can't help but feel it's a bit cheap, like as a last scare. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Because I, I want to talk about it for sure. I still wrestle with liking it or not. Obviously, the bit with the mannequins coming to life is just another delusion. It's an awesome sequence. And then we see Frank had killed himself. And I, I don't like the eyes popping open because I don't like the idea of Frank being alive at the end of this. I think it's better if he were dead. I can see Frank being capable of pulling off a stunt like this, but... It just doesn't sit well with me. I prefer to think he's dead. I prefer to think of the eyes opening as another delusion. Like a post-mortem delusion. <laughs> yeah, I just think thematically the story works better if it just ends with Frank's death. And, you know, maybe he just couldn't handle the, the pain anymore and constantly reliving killing all these girls and reliving the abuse of his mother. Or maybe he felt guilty, like... Who knows what Frank felt, but, you know, one thing's for sure is that it was all too much, and he just felt like he needed to end his life. And I do think that's what that scene represents of them all coming back to life, is like, he's maybe feeling a bit sorry for what he's done, and, you know, that is why he impales himself. Or maybe he's taking on 
the personalities of the people he's killed and he's taken on the personality of his mom like why not take on the personality of all these people that he killed and of course they would have these feelings towards him and maybe he just has so many personalities in his head now like he's just going completely crazy and can't can't even think straight anymore but yeah i i I definitely either way i prefer to think frank's story ends here yeah i agree and yeah i think Frank is suffering through the whole movie, and once his attempts to have a normal relationship with Anna failed, I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back, and it was time to end the suffering, and yeah, I prefer Frank being dead. It is what it is, but I definitely think it works better if those eyes stay shut. Yeah, that's one of the, you know, few things I don't like is this eye-popping-up ending. I just think it cheapens the ending a bit, but, you know, I prefer just to have my own interpretation of, you know, what I think happened. Cool. Well, all right, man. It's been a long time coming, but you know what I got to ask now? Did you enjoy this movie? Yeah, I really like this movie. Like I said, it's fun to nitpick the scenes meticulously. I think all the kills have this, like, gritty, realistic paranoia, like, tone to them that's really haunting on screen but on the opposite end you have frank who's like totally delusional and you know suffering a mental breakdown and he can't tell reality from fiction and it all mixes really well together just to make an awesome and off-putting movie and i just feel that this film is influential for some reason like i have nothing to base that off of but i just feel like it does a lot in that there's probably imitators out there that have tried to do what Maniac did. I don't know. This I, I watched this film and I felt really like inspired for some reason. Interesting. Yeah, I love this movie. I'm so glad you finally saw it because ever since Terry showed it to me, it's been one of my all-time favorites for sure. You know, I didn't even usually talk about my ownership of the films. I did have it on VHS. I had it on DVD. Had it on Blu-ray, and I now have it on 4K. So it's always been a part of my collection, and always will be. And yeah, it's just a fantastic film. So, speaking of kills, though, did you find yourself a favorite one? Yeah, this is tough, because, I mean, we talked about this in private, where it was like, you know, all these kills are pretty good, and it's kind of hard to pick a favorite. But if I had to pick a favorite, you know, I gotta go with tom savini's head explosion (laughs) (laughs) right on i don't know it's just like a spectacle like it looks great for 1980 like it looks awesome and i love just the way that the scene you know all the all the kills in this movie have this very tense build up like you know something bad is about to happen but the movie makes you sit with the victims and you know you just want it to happen but the movie says nah you're gonna like sit here and be uncomfortable, and wait for it to happen. And it is really effective. It makes you feel in those shoes, and it makes you wonder, like, man, this really sucks, and I would never want this to happen to me or anyone that I love. <laughs> awesome. Good choice. Yeah, it's a great head explosion. Yeah, it's, it's gore galore. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best head explosions I've ever seen. Yeah, me too, for sure. I'm really torn here too, like we talked in private, because part of me so desperately wants to choose the Tom Savini head explosion, but in all honesty, I have to go with Rita's death. 
it isn't so much the kill itself as it is the uncomfortable feeling the scene creates for me. I'm not one who is often shocked or uncomfortable in a movie. I'm pretty desensitized, in all honesty. Yeah, I would, I would say the same, too. <laughs> this scene breaks through for me. I just really feel for Rita, because no other victim is forced to live in the fear of being at the mercy of a maniac like she is. You're listening to Frank, and she's actually met him before, and he's just completely proving himself to be insane, and you have to know you're going to die soon. And it's terrible. And it just gets to me. The murder itself is basic, but you see that she's clearly suffering and the life is being drained out of her. And then they do have that excellent POV of the scalping where the blood pours over the screen. So tip of the hat to that to just top it all off. Yeah, no, that that definitely is the scariest part is that Rita met Frank once and it's like, holy shit, this guy's crazy, and I met him, and I didn't even know it. And like I said, everyone else just gets killed, but Rita has to listen to him monologue, and it's just completely psychotic, and she's at the whims of a madman, and it that sucks and is terrifying to me. <laughs> it's definitely haunting, for sure. So do you have a favorite scene? My favorite scene? Man, it's, a, it's another tough, tough choice, because I feel like they're just... Many great scenes in this film. I guess I have to go with the scene right before the ending with the mannequins coming to life and getting their revenge on Frank. Nice. I just think it's a well-earned scene. You get to see Frank in this very vulnerable state, and he really does seem like he's in fear and scared, and he's finally reverted all the way back to his childhood self. And he's just screaming in pain like... He sells it so well with his screams and the looks on his face. And yeah, it's a very cathartic scene. Finally, you know, getting to see Frank get his comeuppance, even though we said he can be sympathetic and, you know, we can empathize with him. It's still like he's done all this horrible things to these women. And it's great to bring all those women back and, you know, give them a scene to really shine. Yeah, that's a great choice, and it's hard to argue that sequence for being a great scene or a great kill. Yeah, I I almost wanted to pick it as a kill, but I definitely had some others that I liked a little more. But as a scene, it definitely hits all the notes for me. Like, the movie just culminates into this great finale here. Awesome. Good choice. Good choice. How about you, Sean? Favorite scene? My favorite scene is the whole sequence with the hooker. Because up to that point in the film, we still don't know much about Frank's character. We aren't 100% sure what kind of story beats we will be taking. The movie's still very much a mystery at that point. And I love the way this sequence settles us into the movie's grooves. I love the interplay between Frank and the hooker. This scene has great acting and great dialogue. And the kill is good, but it's also where we're introduced to the scalping, which just, you don't see coming, and it's so shocking, and it's probably the film's main calling card, if you think about it, and once this sequence gets done, we have an idea of where we're going and what we're doing, but the film does continue to deliver, but 
that scene is very important in getting us there. Yeah, like I said when we were talking about it, I think that's probably the most important scene of the film, just for thematic sake and just setting the tone, like you said, for what's going to come. Yep, that's great. Well, there you have it. That's our thoughts on Maniac. I'm so glad we got to do this, man. Week number three of our Halloween horror movie celebration in the bag. Hell yeah. And stay tuned because next week is going to be special. So yeah, get excited for that. The end of our celebration for October, our Halloween special. Yep. Our very first Halloween special. We're looking forward to surprising you with a great movie. We're looking forward to discussing it. And we can't wait for Halloween. Yep. Good night, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you.